Hello, and welcome to New People, New Ways, a podcast in partnership with Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist that explores new ways of being church through the stories and insights of scholars and practitioners alike. I'm Piper Ramsey Sumner, a layperson and cultivator of Fresh Expressions for the Florida Conference. And I'm Michael Adam Beck. I'm the director of Fresh Expressions Florida and Fresh Expressions United Methodist. And we are here with the Reverend Tiffania Akaza Willits, who has served as the pastor of Seminole Heights UMC in Tampa, Florida, since July of 2018. And Tiffania grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh oh, Piper, not for your other podcast, PK in the house. Uh, two United Methodist pastors in Florida, and she has been involved in the church on local, district, and a conference level for several years. She answered God's call to ordain ministry after a spiritual experience on the Walk to Emmaus retreat. Amen. I think I was a pastor and I got saved at Walk to Emmaus. But, uh, she spent three years as a missionary, first in Buenos Aires, Argentina, and then in campus ministry of Central Methodist University in Fayette, Missouri. She's passionate about making disciples who can transform their communities and the world. And she has a love and commitment to serve Jesus Christ and the spiritual gifts of discernment, preaching, and teaching. She is a dynamic and biblical preacher and teacher. Pastor Tiffania holds a Bachelor of Arts in Economics with a minor in Latin American Studies from Princeton University in Princeton, New Jersey. And in May of 2018, she received a Master of Divinity degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory in Atlanta, Georgia. And in September 2020, Pastor Tiffania was ordained as an elder in the United Methodist Church. And she now lives in Tampa with her husband, Lawrence, and, and puppy, Mia. And she loves cooking, baking, yoga, and watching movies in her free time. Tiffania, thank you so much for jumping into this conversation with us today. Yeah, thanks. I did not know you were going to read the entire bio. <laughs> Yeah, of course. We want people to know how awesome you are. Yeah. Know all the good stuff, all the details before we yeah. dive in even deeper. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So our first question that we always ask, who is Tiffania Akaza Willits? Huh, I feel like that's always a tough question to answer. Um, today, right now, I am a pastor. Um a Christian, um, a dog mom, and a wife, and community member. Um, and all those kind of, depending on the day, I mean, there could be a million other labels. Um, but being part of my community as a pastor, not just, um, you know, as my job here at my church, at where I'm appointed, where I'm placed, but as a pastor to the community where I'm living, um, that's a really big part of my identity and my role here uh, in Seminole Heights. Um, and so, yeah, so that's that's a really big piece of who I am um, beyond my actual work. Um, it's also kind of, you know, I go to the grocery store and people say, hi, pastor, you know, and um, I, you know, drive around and I know people know my car. <laughs> um, so that being a pastor in the community is very much, I'm very aware of that, uh, of that role. Um, 
so yeah, but you know, I've also got, of course, family, friends, um, the roles that I play in those places. And um, my dogs had some health issues recently, so that is forefront in my mind as well. But I mean, she's doing all right, but uh, yeah. So I don't know, maybe a chameleon. I think that's kind of a theme um, thinking about this conversation. I, um, I, I tend to uh, change as needed. Um, not that I'm changing who I am, but um, you know, being uh, supporting, you know, moving through the space where I am, you know, in a way that is helpful and um, contributing. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a couple things that um, you said that really resonated with me there, and one. John Wesley's idea of the world is our parish, right? Yeah. We're, we're appointed not to just take care of an existing flock of sheep, right? But to lead the people of God in mission to the community and to be a pastor over a community. So we're not just appointed to churches. We're appointed to cities, communities, rural spaces. And then the other thing you said that's like a big time uh, pioneer or adventurer trait from all the research that comes out of the U.K., um, is this adaptability or the way Paul puts it, like, um, I become all things to all people so that I might win some. And so uh, pioneers like you have the ability to like um, understand culture and, and incarnate within culture and be true to who you are in Christ, but to be able to adapt to, you know, communicate across meaning bridges and such. The other thing I really love about what Wesley said, right, is, plain truth for plain people and adapt your, your subject to your hearers. He said things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so come in as a learner and, and adapt and, and build relationships first, which I feel like you do that so naturally in, in your ministry. Mm -hmm. So tell us how, how did you initially get connected up into the Fresh Expressions conversation? Do you know, I honestly don't remember the first time I heard about Fresh Expressions because as I was starting the kind of candidacy process in Florida and going to seminary, like Fresh Expressions was just all around. It was just like talked about, like the, that was a time when the conference I think was really starting to launch. I was probably, gosh, 2015, 16. Um, so um, there was just a lot of momentum behind Fresh Expressions. There was conferences happening. There was events, workshops. I think I went to a workshop while I was in seminary in Atlanta. Um, and so it was just something that I had kind of heard about. Um, and something that really made sense to me because, uh, again, having served as a missionary, and we'll get to talking about my missionary time, but um, it's all about contextual ministry and meeting people where they are. And I think so many churches, um, as the church in the United States, main, mainline churches were, have been declining, churches are you know, competing for the same pool of Christians instead of really focusing on, but there's so many people who have no idea about Jesus. Actually, I think, Michael, I might've heard you talk at annual conference. That might've been the first time, like one of those annual conferences around that time. And you said something about why don't people come to church on Sunday? Like all the reasons. And like one of the number one reasons people work on Sunday, you know, just the, that kind of shift of like mindset of, oh, wait, you know, this one hour on Sunday 
not only doesn't work for a lot of people, it's it's not really a way to create disciples, right? It's a way to maybe make people feel good, um, but it's not necessarily going to be transformational. Mm-hmm. So anyways, that's where I think I heard about Fresh Expressions the first time and it, um, just ever since then have kind of been involved in and in trying to learn more and go deeper into it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Those uh, those uh, conference spe- speeches they make a difference. Some people they are do. listening. <laughs> that's good. I love that. That I think that's cool. Like, I'll, you know, there's so many different reasons why the church, you know, today's kind of church and that la- the language we use and the kind of unspoken expectations, even of like how do you dress. What do you, you know, knowing when to say what I was talking to uh, Jessica, who's on our conference team. She didn't grow up in church. And she said the first time she went to church, it was really confusing because everybody seemed to know what to do. They all knew all the songs. They knew when to stand up and when to say, and also with you and all those other things, you know, but those of us, the pastor's kids here, we know we've, we lived that that's been our entire existence. And so it takes a little bit to kind of knock yourself out of that mindset and realize if I really want to, if I really want to think of the world as my parish, I have to understand it. I have to have that cultural and contextual kind of intelligence and understanding too, to make that switch. You know, yeah, that goes along with um, you mentioned being um, a missionary. So uh, with fresh expressions, a lot of that is about this cultural competency. What um, a lot of what Michael has written about with contextual intelligence. And so you were a missionary in Argentina and then also in Missouri. So, of course, that cultural understanding was uh, essential. So how has that, what was that like for you and that um, kind of understanding these different cultures? And then also, how has that informed your ministry now that you're back in Florida where you grew up uh, in Seminole Heights in Tampa? Yeah. Um, So I actually had taken a lot of sociology. I almost was a sociology major in undergrad. Um, So I had taken a lot of courses in sociology and like analyzing society, analyzing culture. And then um, right after I graduated from college, I became a missionary with Global Ministries, um, the Global Mission Fellows Program, shout out, Mm -hmm. uh, program for young adults um, to work as missionaries uh, all over the world or domestically. Um, When I did the program, it was a little different. So you did a year and a half abroad and then a year and a half back in your home country. And the very first thing from the very first day was about, listen, get to know your culture, listen, listen, listen. And, and that's how they train missionaries, you know, to go and to learn and listen and, you know, to help where you can, but that your ministry is going to be a ministry of presence at the beginning, you know, as you're learning and as you are getting to know the people, and then you see where your gifts can, you know, support and be of help. Um, and so just having that, like always ingrained in me, um, starting in Argentina, um, you know, just taking a back seat, learning from the people who I was working with, um, learning from the church that I got involved with, the community that I got involved with. Uh, and that church actually really helped me to claim my call to ministry because it um, is a church still there, uh, Cristo Rey. Uh, Iglesia Metodista Cristo Rey, um, a local church there in Buenos Aires. Um, it was a new church plant when I had only been there for a few years um, when I moved to Buenos Aires. And uh, they 
did not have a paid pastor on staff. It was completely lay run. Um, there was a team of five um, on the pastoral ministry team, all lay people who had completely different day jobs, um, but they kind of split up the areas of pastoral ministry, visitation, children, youth, all those things. And then they had a pastor who was an employee of Global Ministries who just came and preached. And he would preach and then, but during the week they would do the work of the church as laity. And um, it was kind of interesting. I heard a call to ordain ministry in the midst of that because I saw what the church really can be um, when the laity are um, leading and leading out of their giftedness and really passionate about their community. That church was all about their community. They did, you know, back to school. They were in a low-income community. They did back to school drives. They gave uniforms. They did, um, you know, they had a feeding ministry with the local kids that would come and they'd feed them a meal and do a lesson with them um, and just love their community just in so many ways. And, you know, no judgment. People, you know, came from all walks of life to that church. And um, it was just really beautiful to be part of that and to see that and to see that the church could really do that. Um, you know, I, I kind of heard about it and kind of was thinking, oh, that would be great. But to see it in action was really powerful. Uh, and so going then I went to campus ministry in Missouri and it, that was a completely different experience. I was in rural Missouri, a small Methodist college. Um, but again, I had students from all over the country would come to this college. Some students were local, you know, from the more rural communities in Missouri, but there were students from Kansas City, from St. Louis, from Chicago, from East Coast, West Coast. I mean, international students. Um, so that was really cool to kind of experience this melting pot in a way. Uh, but uh, then to also, you know, once I had thought I had things figured out, moved to a place where I had to start again and learn everything again and learn, okay, what is the rhythm here? What is, what are the students looking for? You know, how do I connect with them? And um, so again, getting put right back into that posture of learning and listening first. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, you know, coming and starting my first appointment, it just made sense. That's just kind of how I've been do kind of trained to do ministry by being a missionary first um, to come in, not with the answers and not, um, with all the solutions, but bringing my gifts and my resources and really listening to the community and seeing what's on their heart and um, not just the church, but also the greater community. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I cannot recommend enough for pastors, especially if you're a young person and you hear you're hearing called to ministry, or you're thinking about going into ministry, do ministry uh, as a lay person first. And if you can, missionary work or community work, because it is the best training for uh, on-the-ground pastoral ministry. Yeah, I imagine that's what um, really shapes you to be the minister that you are. Um, one of the things I love about the Fresh Expressions Movement is how we try to stay in this learning space from missionaries across the world. And I'm going to rattle off some, some white dude references here, but... Just want to note that the most missionaries on the mission field at any point in human history have been women. Um, so just putting that out there. But a lot of the white dudes, I guess, get to write the books or whatever. But um, some there's an interesting strain of learnings from like Vincent Donovan and um, uh, Donald McGavran 
and um, Roland Allen and Leslie Newbegin, but that they they learn they realize that the way that they've done mission has been really Euro tribal, you know, really colonialist, all those things. And each of them at some level had the same kind of learning that they went to the mission field. And I had this um, going to Momastanango, Guatemala, where I thought, oh, I'm going to go bring gospel, you know, Jesus. And I was like, oh, Jesus was here before I got here. And I yeah. think I may have just actually received salvation from these people. Right. But um, they, they just noticed that missionary approaches across like Western history have been extractional where you, you go out, you, you try to win a convert, right? And you bring them back to the compound. You extract, extract them from their web of relationships and family and all that. And then they like live at the compound and get educated. And they were saying, that's wrong. We need to not do that anymore, right? But to go out and actually unlearn and, and join into the culture and rhythms of people's lives and ask them questions like, Hey, who is God to you? And try to build bridges of meaning between Jesus and whatever the cultural realities are. And I feel like, and we've not done it perfectly, obviously, in Fresh Expressions, we're trying to do that. But in the United States context, which is not necessarily an evangelization kind of situation, it's 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 not it's a it's a already evangelized, so it's a re-evangel a re-evangelization situation, which in some ways feels harder. Because a lot of people, they're just over the church. And, and it's not that they, you know, but in then some contexts, the United States is increasingly becoming where no, they've never been to church or not heard the gospel at all. So it's almost like we get an opportunity to be missionaries here in the United States. And, and then maybe I think maybe I would give me an amen to this, but the, the most hard realities of trying to do this in my context anyway is uh like toxic forms of christianity uh, mm -hmm. and it's not the people that we're reaching and building relationships with and organically trying to but it's those folks who show up with really really toxic theology and god images and um, domineering type you know and uh, dif different views about the bible and their one right interpretation of it and all that mm -hmm. so yeah I imagine that your uh, experience as a missionary and cross-cultural appointments uh, really changes the way that you go about pastoral ministry. Yeah. And honestly, you said cross-cultural and that triggered something else for me. You know, also it's kind of my background. I, um, my mom is from Puerto Rico. My dad is from the U.S. I've grown up in two cultures my whole life. Um, so I grew up here in Florida, but um, also always grew up with like a uh, Hispanic Latinx community um, and a white community um, very much. And so um, I think also kind of growing up that way, I, I tend to, to have that kind of observing mindset. Okay, where am I? What am I, you know, who's here? Um, and who do I need to, you know, how do I need to be in this space? Um, so I think that also plays into it. Um, someone said to me when I was first starting a ministry, they said, oh yeah, maybe you should look at a cross-cultural appointment. And I said, I don't know what that would look like for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't want my life. <laughs> I'm like, I, my life is cross-cultural. So um, yeah, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and you shout out Vincent Donovan, like that was huge for me. And in, um, in my evangelism class in seminary, we read his um, book about um, 
rediscovering the kingdom and oh my gosh like it was written so long ago and still just so 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 much truth there mm. yeah. yeah yeah so mentioning that um you know you being a woman of color so you're a woman and you're um like a minority within a very predominantly white male uh, world in the ministry world and in Florida, you know, has its own uniqueness to it and all. Um, do you feel like, you know, you, I think there is an advantage like of you growing up in this kind of cross-cultural space of being, having your different sides of the family and the different cultures and things, but do you, have you found that there have been challenges and then also advantages to that, to your identity and being able to um, work with that and through that in your ministry? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in general, uh, the ordination process uh, in the United Methodist Church is very um, insular. You know, you kind of have to know what to do and you have to have somebody mm -hmm. kind of helping you, telling you how to do it um, to really do it well. Um, so I was really fortunate that, you know, my parents could help me. I had a lot of mentors, people I had grown up knowing um, who could help me. Um, I think if I was, you know, a bicultural, biracial person coming in without that kind of support, I think it would have been a lot harder. Um, so, and I see, I see, um, I, I mentor candidates in my district, in the Gulf Central District, and I see people who don't have that kind of Methodist upbringing, don't have that um, strong background, have a call to ministry, and just really struggle with um, that process of how mm -hmm. do I live this call? Um, and uh, so I so I think I've had advantages be just because of having a lot of support. Um, I will say, our conference, um, Florida conference, does make an effort to really, you know, be intentional about including women, including people of color, lifting them up in leadership. Uh, and so I think that's been positive in a lot of ways. Um, but at the same time, it, it's a perpetual struggle. It's a perpetual struggle. I mean, mm -hmm. life is harder. <laughs> Uh, if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, um, I, I don't, yeah. I have the experience that in, when I'm out in the community, white people see me and they say, they think I'm white. They just assume I'm white. They don't assume that I have any other racial background. Um, that's kind of what they say. Um, but Latinos, Hispanic people, they'll start talking to me in Spanish. So, um, so I'm, it's like, it's like a constant, like, uh, you know, not being either or, you know, being kind of both, but kind of neither, um, with my racial identity. Um, and so that brings challenges too, you know, with, um, in 2020, um, when all the George Floyd protests were going on, um, I did several sermons around race, around you know, Black Lives Matter, around theology of Black Lives Matter, why is this biblical, you know, and um, folks in my church really didn't realize how personal that was to me, and how, you know, 
um, being Latina, like I have family of literally all colors, like first cousins of literally every color of the rainbow, because that's how our families are, right? Where we tend to be very mixed. And so um, I think sometimes people look at me and certainly my congregation um, looks at me and they don't necessarily see all of that uh, going on. And so that brings like, I, so I think the challenges for me have been very much on a personal level. Um, it's also hard to identify, you know, discrimination in the moment. Maybe it's like a thing where you can look back and say, oh yeah, I was not given those same opportunities. I, I don't know um, at this point. Um, like I said, I do think the Florida Conference makes it an effort, um, a, a lot more than even other conferences I've heard, but certainly more than other churches to, um, to include people of different races, not just include, but lift up, um, you know, diverse racial leadership. And even the fact that we, you know, have such an emphasis on anti-racism in our conference mm -hmm. and that work of anti-racism, um, I think speaks to that, um, so I think this is a, an easier place to be a person of color than uh, others in, in terms of being a part of a conference. You know, the state of Florida, that might be a different story, but uh, the Florida conference, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was um, just thinking about the, the research that I keep referencing, by the way, is from George Langs and the Church uh, Army Research Unit out of the UK, where they do all these studies on pioneer and entrepreneurial type um, ministers and laity. And one of the other things they say is the ability to tr be translators across cultures um, and to be able to inhabit those different cultures and, and, you know, translate between. But since we went down this road, and y'all can pull me back in uh, if, if we need to, but just um, like the different parts of Florida, uh, and, and the significant history of segregation, racism, uh, that is really part of Florida. Um, you know, there's, there's different almost cultures depending on where you are in the state, but I've been in North central Florida, most of my ministry. And, um, there's a lot of, of history here. Like for instance, uh, Isabella Wilkerson writes about, um, Wildwood in her book, The Warmth of Other Suns, uh, which is a, was a sundown town in the segregated community, mm -hmm. just horrible legacy of, and my church actually was part of that, like perpetuating it, right? And it's a totally different church today, and it's a church plant, and they're beautiful people. But there was some really hard stuff that happened. Like, I was traumatized by that appointment. And um, Jill and I have two biracial granddaughters and one of the members of that church, a long-standing respected member, told us that we shouldn't let our daughter mix the species. And oh. then um yeah, pulled out the Bible and started trying to and it took like everything I had to literally not punch him in the face, honestly. But um I knew I wouldn't that wouldn't have been a great uh Jesus he thing to do. But right. that that's here, right? And and denominationally we exist in a denomination that that was racist and segregationist. And I have to applaud the Florida Conference and how we are trying to make a difference in that, right? But it also feels like there's this massive thing that's really, really hard to, to change. And I wonder if actually fresh expressions give us a pathway for real anti-racist work. Because me trying to change that in my congregation and myself and, and, and every, in, a, in the inherited context only, 
it's really, really hard. And we do our anti-racism series every year and we'll choose a book that we kind of do in conversation with that. And it's a, it's a time of the year where some of the people stop coming to church for those couple of weeks and they just don't want to hear about it. And they just white privilege and they, they just don't want to go down that road. Some people leave during that series every year, but we feel like it's something we got to do. But with Fresh Expressions, we can actually get out of that whole kind of history and structure that we're working with. We can just build relationships with people, um, which, you know, young people, emerging generations already doing this. Um, but we can join into the diversity that's already in our community and cultivate new Christian communities that don't have all those layers of that stuff. And then I feel like we can feed that back into the inherited congregation. So yeah, we need to do the series and the Bible studies and help people do anti-racist discipleship where we pinpoint those isms in ourselves. But we also have to create things that can show this diversity uh, in some kind of an ecology of church. And I don't know, what are y'all's thoughts on that? I think also, I mean, my church is another example. Um, we're uh, 102 years old. Um, the cornerstone says, you know, Methodist Episcopal Church South. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, when this neighborhood changed, uh, Seminole Heights is a very cool place to live in Tampa now. But um, 40, 50 years ago, it was not. And uh, it was because white people moved out to the suburbs. Um, they were able to buy bigger, nicer homes and black people moved into the homes they left behind. And so, um, and this church was not welcoming to those folks. Like this church stayed 100% white. Um, we have a very little bit of racial diversity now, um, but we do not reflect our community. Now our community is about one third white, one third Hispanic, one third black. We don't re- we don't reflect that at all. Um, not that we're not trying to do ministry, but it's really hard for people to overcome that for, okay, however long this church was not a safe space for people of color. And then suddenly we're telling them, yes, it is. That's hard to trust and hard to just believe. So yeah, Fresh Expressions allows for those personal relationships for creating church uh, communities outside of that baggage that the building physically might have um, for any folks, right? For people who've experienced church hurt, for people who, you know, have never encountered Christianity, but also I think for people, uh, for, uh, you know, people of color or any other marginalized group um, to just build genuine community um, that can become church outside of the physical building. So yeah, I think, I think absolutely Fresh Expressions can be a great vehicle for anti-racist work. And then as your laity, you know, are leading those fresh expressions or involved in those fresh expressions, they can bring that experience back to the inherited church. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest key parts is what we talked about at the beginning of this conversation, which is listening. You have to listen, you know, and so church could, like your church being a majority white, they could just continue in perpetuity without ever looking outside the doors and what, and looking at those demographics and looking at their community and wondering about that. Um, But if it takes people like you and people in your other like laity coming together to go out and to listen, to learn, um, 
and that's what fresh expressions that's the ones that do the best the ones that draw in people and that really make sense and connect with people are the ones that start with le that listening and that listening never stops because sometimes it means changing um which is hard we don't nobody likes to change you know but i think that's such an important and key thing as to being willing to listen and even listen when it's hard you know, because I think that's something a lot of white people that's very hard to listen when being told, hey, there's a history behind this church that this church and this building that you love so much or the ways that you have done things and the things that you grew up with. Like we need to talk about it. We need to change. And it's a difficult thing, but it's so important. And it's so when we listen and when we change, I think it reflects the kingdom, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. So what are some of the ways that you have um, been able to at your church do that listening and create things that connect with your community? I know that your church and a lot of churches, they have preschools, which I feel like is such a wonderful way to connect with your community. You guys have a preschool and you do a free meals on Wednesdays. Um, so have you found that those were are good ways of connecting with your community and creating kind of new opportunities that fresh expressions get to be explored through? Um, well, yes, short answer. Uh, for years, our preschool just kind of acted like a separate entity. Um, people dropped their kids off and picked them up, and they never came in to be part of anything deeper um, at our church. Um, most of them didn't go to any church at all. They just kind of were okay with their child going to a Christian preschool. And we have a good reputation where we're well-liked in the community. Uh, so I... Um, so I, uh, the pastors for many years had been doing uh, chapel weekly at the preschool with the kids. Um, so that was a way to just one-on-one, -on -one, like the pastor connect with the kids. Um, but you know, preschool kids don't really control where they go. So if I'm connecting with the kids and the kids love me, that's great. But like that doesn't necessarily translate to and into any action on the parents' part, right? They're with me for 15, 30 minutes a week. Maybe they remember to tell their parent, oh, the pastor was nice or whatever. Maybe they don't. Uh, so what we started, we started doing messy church and we actually started doing messy church by accident. We, we called it, we thought it was just dinner church, but for kids. Uh, and so we started doing once a month, um, a dinner. Um, we had had a traditional kind of Wednesday night dinner that everybody had to pay and we had age level programming. It was siloed and it just kind of died, um, for a lot of reasons, just kind of, we didn't have the volunteers It just kind of went away. So we relaunched once a month, the last Wednesday of the month as dinner church, but um, every you know month it would be a different Bible story, different Jesus story. Um, we would decorate, like, you know, use our old VBS decorations around the theme. We would have some kind of crafts and some kind of activities that were really kid friendly. I would do a short, you know, children's message, um, you know, Jesus story. Now I learned that's what it was called, but I didn't know what it was called at the time, a five minute version of whatever Bible theme we were talking about. And then the kids would be able to do the different activities with their parents. And we were really intentional. I was coming at this from an intergenerational standpoint that I really wanted something that families could do together. And so um, we were really intentional parents stay with your kids. Like we're doing this together. Um, and then the beauty was people could come and go, right? People would come early and maybe if they had to leave early, that was not a big deal. If they came late, we still had food and they could do some of the activities. Um, so even if families had like gymnastics on Wednesday, they could come after, 
or if you know oh we have a really early morning tomorrow they just come for the first part and leave and so we had we got some really good traction with our preschool families doing that um then uh the city of Tampa has been developing and growing in a lot of really interesting ways, um, one of which is a lot of gentrification in our downtown area. And so the homeless population that used to be in downtown Tampa is really moving out into more of the suburb areas and into Seminole Heights. So we started noticing that there was just a large population of unhoused people nearby who seemed like they could probably use a meal. So we partnered with Metropolitan Ministries, which does a huge amount of uh, work with unhoused people in Tampa Bay or people at risk of losing their housing, um, especially focusing on families, but really for anyone. And they provide us with a meal now weekly um, that we serve. And um, we can't do messy church every week. I mean, be nice if we could, but it is just way too much of a, a heavy lifting to do every week. And so we do dinner church every week. Um, I still do a Jesus story. We have a prayer. We take prayer requests. Um, but still at that last Wednesday of the month, we do that messy church piece. Uh, as a, and then um, what we've noticed is that for especially our preschool families, they may or may not come on a week to week basis. Kids are picky eaters, right? Like they don't necessarily like to eat whatever is provided, but they really love coming to that messy church time. And so they make a point to come those last Wednesdays. And then we're there if, you know, if your family's busy, we notice like sometimes we'll see a family with only the one parent, the other parents working or, or out of town. So they come to, to dinner church that week because, you know, single parent needs to figure out life, uh, needs to figure out food for their family. Um, and that's what we're here for. And so um, really what we've created is space. Um, and we haven't really over-programmed it. You know, we've got the messy church that's got a, a little bit of programming to it, but the dinner church is just very natural, um, conversational. Um, we we do, we started, I started printing off coloring pages because I noticed we had some little kids that would come and have nothing to do, so they'd color. And now the coloring pages are like a huge thing. The adults love it. Like everybody colors for like the first part of dinner. Like they color the paper that has to do with whatever the Jesus story is. Um, so that's been a really cool experience. Our church also, just over the years, I, I inherited a church that has been very community-minded. Um, and so in neighborhood associations meet at our church, 12-step groups meet at our church. And so for, some, for a lot of folks, it has become a safer space um, where I know a lot of dinner churches might work better out in the community. Not that we couldn't do one out in the community, but our church actually has become a community space in a lot of ways. So we've been able to welcome folks. And I mean, and realistically, we just started the weekly dinners um, this summer. So it's been really light. You know, we'll have some weeks we'll have like four people, especially if there's a thunderstorm. Some weeks we'll have, you know, 15. Um, the messy church is pretty consistently around like 30 to 50 um, kids and parents. Um, so that's just been really cool to see the um, deeper connection with our preschool, but also kind of a way to start the conversation with our unhoused neighbors who have just recently, maybe in the last six months, um, started consistently being in the community. We'd see folks, we're not too far from downtown Tampa, so we'd see folks kind of passing through, but um, it's just the dynamics have really shifted in the last six months or so. I love how you just kind of creatively follow the Holy Spirit and create things and co-create things with God. And 
then um, you're like, oh, yeah, that's probably called Messy Church. Or, oh, that was probably a Jesus story I was doing. And mm-hmm. I just love um, hearing that story of people uh, who cultivate fresh expressions and new things. It's like uh, before they really even knew about this whole movement and this language and this process. It's just something you kind of instinctually do when you really listen and follow what God is up to in the world. And I've always wondered why um, more churches that have really good preschools and and some like whole schools, there's not more energy toward messy church because uh, it's pretty, I mean, it's not easy to do by any means, but there's those natural connections that are already there that could just organically kind of flow out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you don't have that kind of um, like a school or something where you have families already coming to your building. And I love that you, there's this false idea that fresh expressions have to happen, not in a church space. And a lot of them do, you know, it depends on the reputation of the congregation. You've obviously shifted the, the congregation to be seen as a communal space where people can come to but why shouldn't we use these uh, resources, these building that, that God's given us um, for missional purposes, right? So like creating, to rethinking our churches as community spaces that are there for the community, not just for the congregation. Mm-hmm. So I love how you're doing that. And, um, you know, if a congregation maybe doesn't have that kind of reputation or culture, or people aren't coming there for their meetings, for their all the other stuff they're coming to your church for, Maybe it is a better idea to do it off-site somewhere, community center. But if you already have that kind of energy happening, uh, it's pretty logical next step to start stuff in that community center. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think talk, going back to what you're talking about, the schools, I think a lot of um, churches that have a school, they think, oh, my pa- our pastor does a chapel and then like kind of leave it at that. Um and the chapel time that you can have with kids is great, but you're only connecting with those kids and you're not drawing the parents into the conversation. And from a Christian education standpoint, p- kids spend more time with their parents than they spend, even if they're a regular church attender, right? They spend more time with their parents than they spend at church. It's just life, right? Uh, you know, I hope they would, they sleep at home, you know, (laughs) their parents take care of them. So having messy church is a real way to draw parents in and to even help some parents reconnect. Um, I've had, I can't tell you, I, at least five to seven parents tell me, oh, I don't really go to church, but my kid likes messy church. So we come, they're hearing that same Jesus story in that moment. You know, they're, they're connecting with faith through their child in a way that they didn't intend to, right? They didn't think that that would happen. Um, So I think just creating space, I think is the biggest thing. And, and, and like you said, following leading of the Holy spirit, seeing who's around you, seeing, you know, not just the physical needs, like our preschool families, they don't necessarily need a free meal. Like they, they can afford, food. Um, they're in a private preschool, mm-hmm. but what they need is family time. What they need is Jesus. Right. And that's where we can step in and provide that space and say, Joe, you don't have to worry about cooking tonight, you know, and we'll give you an hour, hour and a half of quality family time. And I mean, we see people just come once they go, they come back because they 
they enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All ages, everybody enjoys it. Getting yeah. out on the coloring and yeah. playing the, you know, doing the crafts and the hearing the stories. It's a cool thing. I like messy church, you know. Is there, we didn't really introduce, um, that's something we, I think we struggle with on this podcast. We'd be better at describing things. So how would you describe messy church? Oh, I have a great pitch. Okay, let's hear it. It is a one hour VBS. Oh, there you go. So it is a mini version of a, like pick one day of your VBS curriculum. If you do a VBS, pick one day and do a short version of the Bible story, do what the craft and do like the game or the science experiment or whatever. And there's your messy church. Mm -hmm. That's how we started was just looking at our old VBS curriculum and like just using that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the decorations, I mean, you know, Dollar Tree is great. You decorate Mm -hmm. so that it's, it feels like a party. It's like a little kind of like a kid's birthday party in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it can be super simple. I mean, you'd be surprised like some of these fellowship halls, you just add, you know, a couple like tablecloths, bright colored tablecloths and, you know, little things around and, and you can transform that space, especially in the eyes of children, but just in general, um, just Mm -hmm. a little bit can really go a long way. And then, yeah, use that, you know, curriculum that you spent all that money on, uh, reuse that. People aren't going to remember that they did that for VBS two years ago, or -hmm. if they do, the kids will be like, Oh, I know how to do this already, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, that's, so that's how I sell it. Like I, I, anytime I meet someone who says they have a preschool or they have a school, a a church, a um, pastor or a children minister, I'm like, you have to do messy church. Messy church. Yeah. 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 It doesn't have to be complicated, you know. It can, like you said, it can. You can recycle decorations and and le- lessons and things that you've already done, and um, you don't have to have this deep, elaborate Jesus story. It could be simple and from the heart, and then you allow just allow the parents to have that space to be with their kids, you know. Right. Yeah. And it has this all ages element too, you know, people with um, all abilities and all ages can come and enjoy it. Right. right. Mm -hmm. And we've no, like I've noticed like our older, the older kids that come, they'll do every single craft. And then they're, meanwhile, their younger sibling is still working on one and that's okay. Like that's, that's part of it is, you know, people do what they can and then some kids will get distracted and start playing and that's okay too. Um, so we really are more focused on the community and um, the Jesus story and just the the rhythm of a church being a safe space. Nice. So what what is your vision for the future church? Like, what do you dream that it'll look like 10, 20, 30 years down the road? What's your hope? That is a really hard question to answer. Um, I, so a few things come to mind. I just got back, I was telling Piper, I just got back from Warren Willis camp. I was at Warren Willis camp for a week with our students from our church, just as a volunteer. I wasn't a preacher or anything. Uh, And then I Sunday preached on um, the lectionary, which was Matthew uh, 13, Jesus series of parables kingdom of heaven is and jesus uses five parables and he had even done more before and he does more after 
And Jesus used so many parables to describe the kingdom of heaven because it's so multifaceted, right? It's just like anything and everything is is and isn't the kingdom of heaven. It is all things at all times and all at the same time beyond our comprehension. Mm-hmm. Uh, but seeing Warren Wells camp, seeing the kids and seeing the counselors so passionate and so excited, not just to be at camp, camp is fun, no matter what camp you go to, but, you know, to see the worship, to see, um, how, uh, powerfully these students were really engaging with and thinking through their relationship with God and, and where they are in the future of the church. Um, that is the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's what's coming next. It's, um, I think that there is what's happening and what's been happening is, um, a pruning season of pruning. Um, you know, folks, uh, our culture was Christian for a long time, but wasn't truly of Christ. And so uh, I think it's people now really having to grapple with, you know, choosing Christ or choosing, you know, to stay busy and worried and anxious and um, stressed out. And um, I think the pandemic gave us space to do some of that reassessment. I don't think people really realigned and reassessed in the way that I might have hoped as a pastor that they would, um, even myself, even, you know, you get caught up and you get busy. Um, so I think that this has been a season of pruning, uh, of Christians of the church of really, you know, who, not just the lukewarm Christians, but who is really all in for Jesus and who is really going to live out their faith. And I think that what's coming next is going to come out of that, out of that passion, um, out of that um, dedication and um, just a deeper experience of Christianity. Um, I, I just, I know enough to know that I cannot imagine what the logistics of the kingdom is going to look like. You know what I mean? I mean, I see all the different fresh expressions that you guys have going on at Wildwood and like tattoo parlor church, skydiving church, like who knows? Who knows? Um, but that's also beautiful. Like the kingdom has no bounds, right? Um, so I think um, I think churches are going to have, I think there's going to be a pruning of, of physical churches as well, physical buildings. Um, you know, we invested so much time and energy into these structures that, um, and it's just structures, right? It's the things that will moth, rust, rust and moth will destroy, right? Um, and so I think that's, you know, going to be part of it. Um, I would love to see, you know, churches becoming true community centers, spaces where, you know, the community can gather and be safe and, um, experience hospitality and welcome and love, uh, and then ask, well, why, why do you love me in this way that no one else does? Um, and then that, that gives the opening to share the good news, to share the story. Sure. So um so yeah a lot of hopes and a lot of this also no knowing i don't know what i don't know uh and so just being open to to that as well to the spirit and to um to where god might be moving Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. openness is always good when it comes to the future we wish that we could predict and know everything but it's greater when we're when we're open and you know see you and be a part of building what we hope it can be. And so I think I see you doing that for sure. 
any closing thoughts? What do you, anything else we didn't, we didn't touch so far? Uh, no, you guys ask great questions. I, I Thank have you. a follow up for what you yeah. Um, cause you're busy, you're serving a congregation that has lots of stuff happening every week with a school and everything. Um, but somehow you have in your life and schedule made time to prioritize mission, prioritize reaching people that are not currently connected to the congregation. So for our listeners who may be struggling with that, how do you, how do you do that on a weekly basis? How do you prioritize yourself, your soul care, your family, mm-hmm. uh, being a good pastor to your inherited flock? And yet you're doing all this creative stuff with folks that would not usually connect with your church. Yeah. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know also, I'm, I'm the only full-time staff at my church that doesn't work at my preschool. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm a bit of a jack of all trades here, but uh, mm-hmm. what I have really found is that empowering the lady, if that's it, that's the only way. Um, you will run yourself ragged and you will not last if you are not leaning on your laity. Um, I learned from when I was in campus ministry, my, the chaplain that I was uh, working for, he, when we would come up with ideas for things to do. And if students wouldn't show up or students wouldn't sign up to help, he'd say, well, it wasn't a felt need. It wasn't a felt need. And so I've really tried to focus on what is a felt need and what are things that I've been told I have to do that really don't matter. And um, so listening, but not just doing what everyone else is telling me, really trying to be intentional about my time. And this is still something I work on, but, you know, um, figuring out what are things I as a pastor have to do and what are things that lay people can and should be doing, Um, you know. I, my lay folks, they care for each other as like, as the care team. I, uh, they are taking care of their homebound folks. Um, you know, I'm there for crisis. I'm there for support, but I've got a team. They write notes, they visit, they coordinate all of that. Um, I've got great volunteers. Like I cannot do messy church by myself. There's a whole team of folks who, who, you know, one lady, she's in charge of the crafts. One person helps me with the decorations every time. A different team, I have a whole different team that does the food and the serving. Um, I physically can't, right? I could not run all these things simultaneously. So I think really leaning on your lay team, getting teams in place, um, and also keeping in mind that all this doesn't have to happen day one when you are in a church. I've been here now five years. It's taken me five years, and it's a pandemic, uh, but to build the support to be able to do now all of these things. Um, we could not have done a weekly dinner a week, a year ago. We were just not in that place. We did not have the volunteer capacity. Um, you know, people were still reeling from COVID, you know, now we're in a place where our church can support that. I personally would have loved to have started doing weekly dinners, you know, five years ago, right away. Um, but the church just wasn't in a place to do that. And so, um, it's also moving at the pace of your, congregation, but also maybe pushing them a little bit, maybe a little bit outside their comfort zone. Um, and being that voice too, as a pastor of where you're seeing needs that they might not see, bringing that Mm -hmm. to their attention. Um, and, and, um, giving them the opportunity really to serve and to use their gifts and to listen to where God might be calling them. 
to, to be in ministry. Um, so yeah, absolutely leaning on the laity. I mean, there's no other way to do it. And also I have a very supportive church in terms of my um, emotional and spiritual and mental and physical health. Um, so they understand, like, if I'm taking time, you know, I have my every Friday, I am off, I put an out of office message, people know that I am not going to respond to their email unless it's, a, you know, in, even if it's a dire emergency, they probably need to then email my assistant, who will text me because I'm not going to be checking my email on that day. That's time, that's family time, that's time with God. Um, or if I'm on vacation, same thing, I have a pastor on call, if anything happens, but, you know, don't call me. Um, and they understand that and they respect that. So, um, so I think definitely having the laity, uh, team of laity, but then also um, just being clear about your own boundaries and your own limitations, right? Your own limitations, you're only human. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Really good advice. <laughs> boundaries, patience, all those things. Cool. Well, what, um, where can people find you online? Where can they learn more about what you're up to at Seminole Heights UMC? Yeah. Um, so the best is follow the, the church on social media, um, at Sem Heights. That's our Instagram and Facebook. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, um, Seminole Heights UMC. We live stream all of our worship and we also have a, a weekly little children's worship we put on there. Um, so yeah. Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Seminole Heights United Methodist Church. Cool. Thank you for joining us, Tiffany. This was great. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. And to those listening, thank you for joining in on this episode of New People, New Ways. Uh, if you enjoyed our conversation with Tiffany, you should share it with a friend, give us a rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And if you'd like to learn more about Fresh Expressions, you can check us out at freshexpressionsfl.org and find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we will see you next time on New People, New Ways. <laughs>